0: Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 45, Kemi Joseph, Pursuing Authentic Action, recorded March 15th, 2021.
1: Ooh, yeah, oh. I'm so damn tired of waiting on a perfect A plus B Let's start it up now.
2: Hey, hey, TA Podians. Welcome to Teaching Our Street Podcast. This podcast is researched, recorded, and produced on the unceded lands, water, and air, stewarded by the Canarsie and Muncie Lenape peoples in what is currently called Brooklyn, New York. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being a part of our global community. Invite your peeps, colleagues, and friends to join our community by subscribing on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or we are now on Spotify. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and check out our newly redesigned teachingartistry.org website. It's got a new look, it's more user-friendly, and it's your one-stop shop for episodes, guest bios, video series, and more. The pod squad is in a deep reflective mode, and we would like to better learn about the impact the podcast has on you. Also, we want to know where you'd like it to move or grow. And frankly, without you, it just would be basically me talking to me, which, you know, there's a time and place for that. But here, we want to hear your voice, and we want your voice to help shape the future of teaching artistry so send us a direct message with your email address on one of our social media outlets or you can email us at info at and then we will send you uh the survey directly which should take about five to seven minutes we um we want to make sure it's very clear that we will not share your information with any third parties so if you are interested, please take the moment to send us your email address on any one of those platforms, and we thank you in advance for taking the time to share your thoughts and, of course, to listen. In the last episode, I mentioned that I was working with an executive coach, and I didn't really talk a lot more about that, but... Um, Kemi Joseph is the CEO and founder of Fears Advantage. And I first saw him in a webinar and then had a chance to have a further conversation and ultimately have um, really invested in myself to work one-on-one with Kemi, um, who is helping me to grow my leadership skills and also more finely articulate my EDI approaches. Um, This episode was recorded shortly after we first started working together and things that I can sort of reflect back are Kemi is an incredible listener, very deep listener. Um, he's a good storyteller and, um, he's able to take an uplift like elements of what you said, um, in any, at any moment really, and connect them to something that is bigger than ourselves um what i hear in this episode and what i've experienced in working with him more directly has been that he is quite aspirational he asks incredibly good questions but he also is grounded and or rooted um all at the same time and it and it makes for um i don't know an elevated elevated moments in your life that have permeation in other areas of either your work, your personal life, etc. cetera. So I'm incredibly grateful to have found Kemi and to be able to work more directly with him. And I'm super excited for you to hear this conversation. So let's get to it. Here is episode 45, Kemi Joseph, Pursuing Authentic Action. All right, Kemi. <laughs> welcome welcome to teaching rsg podcast
3: yeah i'm super excited to be here thank you so much for having me Courtney.
2: um yeah i'm excited to have this conversation um uh so this podcast i explained to you is uh, a podcast that celebrates artists culture and equity so i'm excited to hear about your journey um, I'm excited for folks to learn more about you, um, your work, um, uh, fears, advantage. Um, but let's get into, let's just start from like today as you right do. Yeah. Uh, I'm learning French now, by the way. Um, how are you and how are your loved ones doing today?
3: Yeah, this is. Uh, I appreciate you asking, uh, and thanks for everybody who's listening. It's uh, interesting to kind of pause and think about, you know, the things that are going well. Like at least, at least for me and the family's going well. I have nine siblings, so. To say my family's going well is amazing, and uh, we just got a chance to celebrate one of my nephew's birthdays. So we did some laser tags. So I was like, "That's pretty cool." They want to do paintballing. I'm like, "Yeah, I'm kind of too old for this, man." Like I wanted to do paintballing when I was your age, but now I'm kind of beyond that. I don't want to get hurt on my recreation. You know, what I'm saying? I don't want—I don't want to be shot at like that. But uh, we got a chance to do some uh, some laser tag, and we also got a chance to uh, to just spend some good time with you know a portion of the family that's always rejuvenating and you know this this coming weekend preparing to go uh to a funeral for extended family and so it's interesting to like balance this conversation like the good and then also seeing like being there with the family during the not so good or during the, the points where there's loss and and there's uh and and you know the the idea like I don't want to be at a funeral I don't think anybody wants to go to a funeral what's like the point of going to the funeral even if it's people that I didn't know or weren't close to, it's it's for the people who I was close to who were close to them and being there in their time of need to to support them. So it's just, you know, I think my family's doing well and there's plenty of opportunities to support and keep the, the wellness going even through difficult times.
2: Mm, I'm sorry for your loss. Um, yeah, no, I think the moment that we're in this year, we are, you know, we're recording this at, at, at literally the year mark for when things um, really fully shut down as a country. And, um, you know, so there's a lot of there's a lot of reflection and reflecting that seems to be happening right now, though. I feel like many people have been reflective throughout this last 12 months. But you know we like yeah. to we like anniversaries,
3: so it's like a new year. I mean, it's like we what this like on the you know it's this funny to like to like to date the podcast. So it's like if we look at the year mark today was exactly my last flight, and I remember getting home and 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 you know in tears on my on that last flight because it felt like the dream was over. I mean, this thing I've been working on, I traveled 150 days of the year before, and just was like, man, this is this is my time, my career is it's feeling like I'm reaching that that next peak and then it was you know just nope, <laughs> like shut it down kind of conversation and it was uh it was devastating and so when I say that I was that I'm doing well this a year later it feels like all right that's something for me to personally celebrate you know regardless of the loss and the things that have changed it's like all right I made it a year from where I feel like my dreams got shut down to be able to to have the dream look a little bit different and uh, one of my mentors would say, the dream was delayed, not denied. I'm like, all right, okay. <laughs> okay. I can wrap my head around that. It was delayed, definitely freaking delayed, not denied. Cause I'm not denying it. And I'm, I'm gonna make sure that I'm, I keep going after it as long as I'm around.
2: That's making me think of so many things. I'm gonna, I, I love that um, delayed, not denied.
3: You know, I'll give a shout out to Dan Bland if you ever listen to this and so make sure I give credit because <laughs> it just it just shakes me every time I think it. I was like man delayed but not denied like that seems that makes sense so yeah let's get back to it then <laughs> you know?
2: yeah and and so what what are um what is the work that you do because you said you know I, I really felt like I was hitting a peak and then that felt like it was sort of sh- you know snatched away so what what's the work that you do
3: yeah, and then in in the peak of that, you know, was being a speaker and a traveling speaker, a traveling trainer, and so, you know, that's like the vehicle for the work. And then the you know the work that we're doing. And so I run a, I'm a CEO and a DEI strategist for a company called Fears Advantage. So co-founded it with Brian Lemmerman. I'll give a shout out to him too. And for us, we call it Fears Advantage because we want to help people take the things that are scary, especially things that are causing us to avoid. DEI, all of those fears, and, and turn that into fuel for extraordinary actions, relationships, and systems. So that the fears is an acronym for fuel, extraordinary actions, relationships, and systems. And I'll talk about my art experience, which is helping me get to this point, but I just love taking words that are, that are difficult for us and, and figuring out a different way to interpret them that gives us empowerment. And I think that's the same way that we are looking at diversity equity inclusion is something that is polarizing people it's causing a lot of friction or the way that people are approaching is causing friction but if we reframe it if we flip the script on it we can actually see that DEI is not just for minorities it actually can help every single person on this planet and the more we understand that the better we are able to utilize it and for us specifically we are helping businesses to increase equity within their organizations to create environments where their employees, their whole team, can be safe and thrive, and that we're on this mission to help five million people increase, or five, so we're on this mission to help five million leaders increase equity in their organizations by 2030. So we know that that will help to tip the scale to where again more people live safely and thrive.
2: And so the five million leaders, uh, they it doesn't matter what their industry is.
3: No, it doesn't matter what the industry is. If we if we start to get into a little bit of the math, there's a uh, about two hundred million uh, businesses around the world, and so five million is two point five percent of that. And when part of the way we got to that number is looking at the uh, the bell curve of innovation, mm-hmm. and it's saying like the two point five percent are like those are the the first innovators those are the people who like get on the tracks the soonest. And DEI as a conversation, diversity, equity, inclusion as the as three pillars has only been a conversation for about 20 years, right? So this is when, when we're talking about those innovators, it's like looking at the, the, the humanities that we've only been talking about DEI for 20 years. And even if you talk to a 20 year old right now, they're confused, they're frustrated, they don't know what's going on. Just like people who are in this conversation and we're saying anybody who's truly trying to do this work, please understand that you're an innovator like you are having conversations that other people haven't even thought of or are not really sometimes ready to hear. So when we're looking at tipping the scale to reach that 2.5, we know that we'll, we can leverage that for greater momentum to continue to get other people to adopt the philosophy and adopt true change in their organization and a, in our world as a whole.
2: Um, so how I I came across uh, fears, advantage. Um, uh, I think I, I must get like updates like, oh, here are a bunch of events that are happening through Eventbrite. And they tend to be focused on equity, DEI, EDI, anti-racism. Um, and I was like, ooh, like executive training. What is this? on um, and, and equity. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And so I attended a training. And I actually entered into the training late (laughs) because I was coming from another meeting uh, as per usual. And here's what I remember. I took a lot of notes and I've watched it since, but like of that that initial meeting, here's what I remember is um, sort of being like, oh, okay, yes, here's this person who, oh, what, wait, what? Has two cameras? What's happening? Sweet setup. Uh, like the, the, how you say the slickness of that webinar, um, uh, for, for its production values was very high. And I was like, okay, all right. Not only that, but like the, 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 the sort of language that was put, uh, uh, into place in the framework was really fascinating and utilizing that same, um, acronym fuel, Um, extraordinary action, relationships and and systems. Yes. I was going to say strategies, no systems. Um, uh, But I think that session was focused on the first three maybe. Um, And, and just that framework was like, Oh, okay. And then you were asking these really sweet questions that I was, you know, vibing on, like, Um, thinking about you did that triangle thing (laughs) nobody can see what I'm doing but the the triangle of influence and starting with the individual is the base and that the tip is the world and I was like what is this what's happening I love it um and and then you were asking like starting with the individual like what are your spheres of influence write that down and then you also like had us celebrate and talk about what are you grateful for in this moment like it just like the, the positivity and the groundedness of the of the session was really really resonating for me
3: i i appreciate that on so many levels especially even when you first started when you got attracted by the name executive training like we were very intentional with everything because this this conversation is nuts right now like there's literally you get polarized people and it's just interesting of of, of what you're saying like bringing in you know the, we we increase the production value especially around this conversation because it's like DEI has been called the work. And a lot, a lot of times you'll look at the production value of that compared to like sales events or whatever. It's like, man, this is, this feels like less than kind of conversation. So we bring less than our, like less than our best selves to the conversation. It's like, no, no, let's make it an experience. And so thank you for reflecting the gratitude. Thank you for reflecting the, the you know, the music. I don't know what point you came in, but we had music as well oh, and the graphics and things that that create an, ex- like really create an experience If if we, you know start diving into education like my backgrounds in brain-based teaching and learning and I know talking on the go so far (laughs) engagement experience is giving people a chance to have positive emotion around something is what will lock it in and more than lock it in motivate them after the fact to do some kind of follow-up and it was cool when we finally followed up you talked about how you use the materials with your team already it's like great like we didn't have to say go and do it because you found it valuable And you were excited when you saw it and then you then shared it and that's the type of um organic piece that we want to have in this process because then we can make these kind of trainings more compelling than mandatory like i believe there's a a, a, there's there's a way that we can get people to engage in this conversation more than forcing them to do it and i would i would rather look at that piece because then people walk away like you did feeling like dang this was great let me let me share this let me use it and let me follow up that's without us even having to tell you to do those things right so that's what we're talking about
2: yeah no i i I mean i i went back through and watched it again and and took like deeper notes but i but i um i was i actually was on vacation (laughs) (laughs) one when i went to that session and when i and during that time there was a um we have a we have a small team of teaching artists who work more closely with the staff to cultivate and nurture the larger ensemble, and there was a a reflective meeting that happened about like the work that we are really truly disembarking on in terms of um, better embedding, more deeply embedding. Um, anti-racism and equity practices into our work and being really mindful and intentional about that without a lot of external resources. And um, in, in talking to my colleague when I returned um, about that session that I missed, um, it it sounded like there were, there were a lot of questions, but nobody seemed to have like a, a clarity on the direction where we should go next. And I thought, well, I don't, I don't know what the answer is either, but I felt like, you know, the, some of the questions that you had posed, like maybe that would just be useful to ask of everybody. And and it didn't have to be specific to our community, but just like thinking about that base. I often feel like people or, or things or experiences flow into my life when I like right when I need them. The, the week before that session was the insurrection and everybody and we were in the middle of creating curriculum that week um and we had done i think we a a good job of being responsive to the group's needs in that it was like literally it was happening while we were in a session we were all like what and then the next day it was like how do we create space without feeling like we have to push to just do the work do our work or what you know um but what what Anyway, so like, you know, there were, January was freaking hard and that felt like a little bit of a, of a beacon for me. And now, you know, it's March and another sort of point, I feel like every six weeks, four to six weeks is like a new cycle of emotional flow. <laughs> I don't even want to say ebb and flow. flow, just like, oh, it's just like it's just trial. a new, yeah. And it's, it, it feels um, so cyclical and compounding and and it's hard to even remember what I was feeling two weeks ago, <laughs> but I am definitely still feeling that. Plus, right? So you're saying if
3: one definition of trauma is the 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 additional stress or pain that we can't really integrate or process to, and so kind of like what you're saying, like we it just keeps getting more and more added to us, and we're like we haven't even processed the thing from last week, It's like, nope, got, you gotta deal with this now. It's just like okay, this is uh, it's a it's it's and I think we for us, we are trying to show people like the trauma is is derailing this conversation more than we really as a as a society are acknowledging. And we're trying to have conversations on top of wounded um hearts, wounded minds, like it's it's destroyed communities. It's very it's sad just to see that we are not treating people like human beings. And we know as human beings we have to take time to heal before we're getting back to the work and it's 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 that's the extra fatigue and the extra frustration i think is just coming from being exhausted from multiple angles
2: there's also just like trauma and brain development too right i mean i honestly i honestly cannot remember things i cannot hold on to much and people will say well you said this and it's like i might have tell me again what did i say because i can't i can't
3: remember that (laughs) (laughs) what <laughs> could be a pro and a con right? there's a in, in a similar way which just interesting too I don't get to talk this much about it but you know when we talk about uh the extraordinary portion of, of the fear's advantage um you know it's like how are we living our lives how are we you know how are we speaking in, in a place of power and possibility like how are we really embracing what makes us extraordinary and so you know the positive version for me of that what you just said is like Sometimes people will say, yeah, I remember you did this thing for me, or you said this thing, and it really inspired me. I'm like, hey, I don't remember that exactly, but as long as you're associating me with a positive change in your life, awesome. Like, like, you know, like so if people are starting to say that you're saying negative things, like, all right, I'm going to watch that a little bit better. But like, I, I'm grateful that if I forget something, it's usually still something positive, and people are like, thank you for that. I'm like, awesome, fantastic. I'm glad you remember uh, because I may not, but I, you know, it's just the idea of the, of being in integrity and alignment feels like, okay, as long as I'm in that, even if it evolves or I forget, I'm generally going to, people are going to be able to track back and be like, all right, this is the same person. This is the same, uh, uh, this, I can still trust the message is still on point with what, what this person values.
2: Well, that, that that's a good reframe for me too. I mean, it ha- it often happens at work. It's people on my team who say, you said this and a, and I'm like, that sounds brilliant. Awesome. <laughs> Um, I don't remember saying that, but so, uh, let's go with that. Yeah.
3: Sounds, um. <laughs> sounds like a great person to say this. Sounds awesome. Yeah. So yeah, so, I think it's, it's again, the consistency of like, Hey, as long as you're associating positive things with me. Awesome. Thank you so much. Let's keep rolling. Now. Yeah.
2: I mean, the other thing that I've been also considering, I, I this is a, not about me, <laughs> but let's make it, um, but the, yeah, the other thing I think that is also happening is, is the rev. There's a rev to get things done. And that can sometimes be external, internal. And I'm, I'm trying to do better at slowing down. We talked last week about, you know, allowing time for whatever yellow flags, red flags or the instinct, you know, to tug at it so that I so that means I have to slow down and, and take the time or allow Time and space to let that whatever that thing is percolate. Um, I'm trying to do that. That I think is also really challenging because of how, you know, people keep talking uh, about um, how time is liquid because we don't have any distinctions anymore, right? Um, In terms of how do we mark time, like how we as humans mark time, all of that is uh, is is all sort of a mess. So you know, next thing you know, exactly, you're like that
3: Some break where were he's breaking from you know
2: it's like, it's like, all of that all of that or you know like somebody said to me recently "Ugh, oh, what a year this week has been
3: <laughs> yeah sounds about right and, and if we're talking about the the trauma piece right the uh, uh we said on the on the the part of the brain development and it's interesting of thinking of trauma delays brain development right and it's just especially when it's tr- when we have the trauma we go to fight fight or freeze and then we usually can reduce that and calm back down. But if it's trauma after trauma after trauma after trauma after trauma, more trauma, then we get locked in this in this fight or fleas, or we get locked in this and and it is a very um interesting thing that what are we doing to create environments where people can slow down. And that's been a I mean even before it's interesting to say, even before I was traumatized, I was an overachiever, but I imagine I was overachiever because I was traumatized, right? Like there's like, I think they're super linked. And this is the first time I've even said that before I'm like, I'm pretty sure they're linked and we can talk about childhood, you know, as, as part of what we're talking about here, but it's interesting to just what are the environments where we can actually calm down and, and, and like let our minds calm down. And and that's the journey that I've been on just on a health journey myself and recently um challenging myself to meditate and it's been interesting of uh, i can tell i wouldn't have been ready for it until now you said certain things come into our lives and i'm like all right i'm more ready to meditate now and just to experience the difference over the last week of, of just past as giving my letting my mind know it's safe enough to slow down it's been a very um positive experience for myself and and even the people I've been interacting with, I can have more uh, more empathy for because the flip side, and this is kind of what we talk about in the fuel portion is um, from Dr. Michelle Borba that says, uh, as our anxiety increases, our empathy decreases. Mm-hmm. And so if trauma increases it, the stress of not knowing, like all these changes, COVID like that, we have more anxiety than we've ever had, mm-hmm. which is why we have less empathy than we've ever had. And for sure, connecting it back to the work of DEI, you know, if you look at which one does it require uh, empathy or anxiety, it requires empathy. <laughs> and so, you know, there's an interesting thing to just see: how do we give people truly the ability to feel safer, so they can be reconnected to themselves and other people in a way that uh, provokes more empathy and and reduces the anxiety, so we we actually can take more authentic action. And like those are those are the ways that we're thinking through all of this in order to get to. Uh, more positive and productive solutions.
2: So I, I want to hear more about the solutions, but let's go. Let's let's do go back into you. Like I want to know who Cammy was as a kid. I want to know.
3: It's a good segue because people was like, man, this guy sounds like he ain't never been through a hard day. Talking about positive and productive. Who is who is this? <laughs> who is this guy? It's, uh. So so
2: where where did you grow up?
3: I grew up in Miami, Florida, and that's where I currently live.
2: Okay, and, and you said something about Oregon.
3: I was in Oregon for five years um, and so that was because I needed an escape from Miami just to recalibrate my own life as a as a budding teenager going into his 20s. So uh, yeah, that was after college. I needed that for this time, but now I'm back here back in uh, in miami.
2: yeah i I, I grew up here um, born and raised, but I also did a um after college into into womanhood <laughs> moment in Atlanta
3: um, yeah it's like take us sab- it's not a sabbatical I feel like I'm still working but I just needed a I need a different perspective I mean somebody said to me that perspective is one of the greatest gifts we can have but we often underutilize it mm-hmm. and just being able to leave for a while I'm like oh okay great when I come back I get to hit the reset button and be who I want to be here live where I want to live and it's kind of that's been just I've been back for two years it's been such a beautiful kind of returning home for me
2: Mm, that's lovely um yeah we can i can make many connections to that um but let's stick with you um what um so as a kid like you know what was your what was your like personality like as a kid and ultimately what i'm most curious about since we are about arts here how how did you engage in in arts as a kid
3: yeah. So this question, uh, so I am, in. I think I might've mentioned, I have nine siblings. So, so it means 10 of us. And so, uh, first of all, I to give a shout out to my mom and my dad. I mean, they're 10 from the same family. I mean, it's just nuts. And, and my mom, for me, we just celebrated her 67th birthday. So it's like, oh. she's still going strong. So let's go. Okay. Uh, so yeah, definitely grateful. Uh, and I'm grateful. I'm more grateful now. It was very chaotic growing up and, and very, uh, disorienting for my mom and the struggles there so i think part of the reason i say that is because growing up in that single family home uh, with that many siblings not that there was nine like 10 of us all at the house at the same time but at least six and it was um you know it was it had its own struggles for sure and and, and being kind of a middle child was also interesting like like not i guess not really in the middle i'm 7 so i'm on the younger i'm i'm number 7 of 10 um, and so, you know, I have three siblings that are younger than me, and then everybody else who's older. Mm-hmm. And I was a troublemaking kid. And I, again, I think part of it is the traumas experiencing in a, in, a, in a single family household. But also, my parents. One of my earliest memories was when my uh, when my parents split up, like the night that my like my mom kicked my dad out of the house. And mm-hmm. so, think about the response that I took from that. And we can have a whole session about just that one experience. But it was definitely to kind of rebel was it was to um you know i didn't really understand the situation so i made my mom the villain and and it was interesting to be you know living in her house and making her the villain of of my story um and then and because of having such a big family too and just still trying to find my way um i think as a kid i was probably more like uh i i, I wanted to be fun fun and going and there was also this chance of constantly like dealing with a sense of rejection or like not knowing where i really fit in and so i, I say some of that because like my siblings would like pick up all the new dances and the new songs and i was like the late adopter I was, like hey guys i'm here still they're like we're already on so the next thing. i was like dang <laughs> so well was are i guess that's not my form of art to, to dance because like i feel like even now if i do choreography i'm like super like i go to like a zumba class i'm like all right i'm gonna go I'm going to stick over here. I'm going to practice before I show up again. But <laughs> uh so it's kind of like, that I was like, that's not my art. And then my, some of my siblings were really amazing artists, like visual artists. I was like, okay, like I tried that. I'm like, mm, this ain't me either. So yeah, I think it was like having a lot of comparative <laughs> to like test myself against. And uh, I remember my first venture into public art, uh, besides being a, a class clown, I think I was pretty good at that, but you know, I never necessarily compared odds with my siblings, but I, I think I started to realize, oh, this is where I can get some, um, this is where I can get some validation, which I mean we can talk about so many kids experiencing that same thing, right they get rejected so many other places and they get people to laugh and especially laughing at other people or whatever. So that was I, that was for sure me realizing, oh, this is awesome. I love this feeling of like getting people, the whole people, everybody on my side we're laughing at whether it's a person or a situation. Um, and eventually I started to use those tools for good, but that was, you know, that's the beginning of my first public art experience um, because I was uh, labeled a troublemaker. Um, I also, you know, was a troublemaker in church and my, my mom was definitely trying to get us to walk a, a more holy path, so to speak. And, uh and I did not, uh, that was not my jam. Like it. So uh, I said, I tell people, yeah, you could have loved church. I felt like it was a prison for me. So that was not my thing. And especially I was being forced to be there, which is, I think part of the reason I don't want things to be mandatory. <laughs> I'm just like, that just kind of triggers me as a kid having to go there. Uh, so anyways, at one point my mom, I was like, let me, um, uh, see if, if we get Kimmy involved in the arts, maybe that's going to be better for him. And so I got, uh, I remember the church drummer picked me up uh, one afternoon and, you know, the enticing thing was like, we're going to get McDonald's on the way, boom, yeah. he, knew, he already knew what the words to say. I was like, all right, great. You have me at McDonald's? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> whatever else is going on, fans, signs, I'm good, I'm a, I'm a British order, whatever I want. It's like, great, that's the way to get me. Uh, and I We had a session that, I don't know how long it lasted, but I probably paid attention for about an hour um and then so the next sunday and this is like playing on a drum set so i don't know if i said it's like playing on a drum set so the next sunday uh we're back at church um and maybe i'm a little bit more excited to be there i don't know but the drummer's not there so this is you know this this is kind of like in the movies when you get where you you've been trained by the master and then there's a situation that's provoked that like you have to step up as the teacher to show what you've learned <laughs> so that's at least how i interpret it yeah. and uh, <laughs> so the choir to on like you can't go on without the drums the drum set's already there what's going on so I, you know walk up on my little side and then uh and then i am starting to drum and i think i got the yeah you know, i got the bass drum i can get that and then i'm trying to like coordinate the other drums and realizing maybe I only paid attention for like 10 minutes of that hour. Like I definitely more remember the McDonald's and what I drank what I ate. I remember all that, the drums I don't remember. And the, I've been in so much trouble, Courtney. I've been in so much trouble, especially at that point, suspended, Mm -hmm. kicked out of church. Like I've been in so much trouble. But I remember looking over in that moment and seeing my mom's face. And she was so disappointed that I was playing the drums. It was like, it was like, this is the most embarrassing that she's been, I'm like, dang, this is it? Like, this is the thing? So I just like quietly put the drums down. I imagine my mom doesn't even remember this, but like that just like shot me down. I was like, and I was bad, but I, you know, it was like a legit, like I wasn't good. I'm not saying that my mom was crushing my dream. It was like, I was like probably off beat. Like I wasn't, drum kit wasn't my jam. And so I like put the sticks down there. Like, I'm never playing that again. I think like I just concealed art for a long time like it was just like all right well if I just kind of play back here I'm good like I don't have to be in front of anybody uh and so that, that's my beginning journey as an artist should I tell you how I, how I got out of that hole do you have any questions <laughs>
2: well I mean I'm I'm very much picturing this but please continue
3: yeah so then it was um you know uh, I there's some, some something about you know rap and hip-hop that is just so attractive to many of us and so eventually i started hearing more like rappers and i can list off the ones i was listening to but it, it's not as important as you know my brother my youngest brother uh robbins he started getting into rap he's really good i was like man it's awesome and then we found out around that time that my dad was a poet too so i was like okay let me try some of this and that, that i became like a bathroom rapper which mean that like I would like listen to the songs while I'm taking a shower and then there'd be like an outro, uh, you know, from the rap song. I'm like, all right, I'm going to share my little bars. Like, no one's got to hear this. Like, no one's going to know. But I was quietly building that up. I was like, I got this kind of skill set. And that was the first time where I feel like I had a little art for myself. And that 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 kind of just played in the background, but it gave me more confidence to say, I have some kind of message that I want to tell. Um, and the first chance I got, a, the first opportunity I got a chance to start telling a message was one of my um, mentors, Mr. Bryce, um, got me into Bronco Television or BTV, like our our our, our bro- little broadcasting, so went from being a news anchor to actually like starting to uh, to tell stories and kind of make little clips to the point where we were having so much fun in that class like other classmates were skipping to like be a part of our movies and stuff like that so I was like I think this is engagement I think this is student engagement. so wait wait your school had
2: a television
3: show is that your, is that yeah, what you said yeah like it was like high school at this point so it's yeah, like uh yeah. so it took me so that you know the church thing was maybe uh early middle school and then it took me um until uh college or high school to start like figuring out my art form which was like video at that point and uh, in the middle of that, between that transition, my dad had passed or my dad had passed away, uh, tragically. And it was, uh, it'd be, it was like, I needed to do something different and find a way for like me to move this anger out and like do something. Like, so being able to then find broadcast television. And like, in the beginning, we're like, we're just, we're just happy to be in front of the camera. You know, we're making a little music video. Like, it's just like, what we can do this too, uh, probably MTV was popular at the time. So we're like, oh man, we can make these rap videos. And then. Uh, it became a thing where I actually got to write a, a segment called Choice, which was like a play on Dare. Uh, and I got to just start to share messages like, okay, what happens with the choices we make? Um, and it was then that I actually got to do like maybe a 20 minute movie about uh, drinking and driving because it was my dad was hit by a drunk driver. And that's what you know that eventually led to his passing. And it was the first time I got a chance to even process that, like through like through making this movie and writing the script and everything. And I think that was when I understood and one, the importance of um healing through art, but two, the um, the ability to share a message that could, could resonate with people and help them make a a better choice through through being inspired to. And and that hooked me to go full tilt into uh Film and theater, and, and more importantly, into communication and embracing, um, embracing that I could actually make a difference. And you know, as we as I kind of shorten the story, I would say like once I was in film school, uh, and then being able to, to get more into the arts, I realized that I can also publicly perform my hip hop, publicly perform my spoken word, and publicly be a speaker. And that was it was interesting to to reclaim. Uh, that sense of embarrassment from like being a kid and saying, yeah, I didn't know how to play the drums. Absolutely. But I I found that in this journey of of figuring out my art form from the, from the difficulties that I kind of endured, it was like finding my own um, way to be a part of arts. And so now I'm also a percussionist and, and it's like, Oh yeah, I can get down on like rhythm section, but like drum kit. No, no, it's not, that's not me. I am. I found my, I found My ability to be a part of percussion, and that to me is a symbol. It symbolizes me finding my ability to fit in, in my family, to fit in, in like the film or um, the the theatric world, to fit into the speaker and hip hop world, to fit into the the music world. Like, where do I fit in, and what what can I add that's going to make this thing better?
2: That's such a beautiful story. You're a very good storyteller. FYI. Oh, <laughs> I
3: was like, I was making sure I brought all those pieces together because it's like, and when you ask about the journey, it's like, man, there's so many pieces. But it's like, I can remember the, I can remember the the things that caused me to not want to be an artist, and the things that really inspired me to find my own voice and the people who did along the way as well.
2: I I'm just gonna go back to the the drum moment because there is. I feel like we every kid has this moment. It looks different, but that like where we put ourselves out there and somehow it completely falls flat and, and you feel embarrassed and off put, you know, you're just off put. And how do we, how do we keep moving forward? Like I have been there so many times in so many different ways. (laughs) <laughs> and like oh, the yeah. moment where you're like i'm making you proud oh no oh no, yeah i'm not making you proud at all
3: oh um, but i think it's like it's, what do we do with that information yeah. right and i and i think it's uh you know sometimes I, I will teach uh i will still teach um you know k-12 and i remember teaching about dealing with rejection there's ways that we internalize it and say that we're not good enough or we turn out and we we blame other people it's like what if rejections that is like an invitation for us to to love ourselves more, right? That we can say, oh, okay, I'm not good at that thing. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that I'm like, I'm not enough or that I'm less than. It's like, no, I'm just not good at that thing. Like if I lose, it it took me years to figure that out, to like separate that. I probably was in like my late twenties, like, oh, I can separate myself from the things that I produce in the world, like from my artwork, like I'm not those things, like what? (laughs)
2: But I think that I mean I think that that's a a tough a tough thing for young people to understand that you like you're not gonna have ten minutes of a lesson and be a prolific prodigy in anything.
3: Right. Well, I mean, you see it in the movies, like a training montage, like boom, like we got oh, that yeah. training montage lasted about. 10 minutes like so i'm pretty <laughs> sure it just takes 10 minutes to get but,
2: but i to, to take it to that next step like putting yourself out there trying to find a thing that is going to help you express what you what is inside of you and that ultimately you were able to find that um through filmmaking and and, and television and and then anchoring that in a message that was quite meaningful and intimate for you as a, as a young person that's that's a huge that's a huge thing I, I was thinking about my, uh, I don't, I didn't have the same experience, but in high school, I, um, I was also trying to figure out where, wh- what's my platform. Um, I was joining clubs and then I was like in sports, but I, I at home was a big singer. I would like belt everything out. I, and you know, I loved music, but I would never sing in front of other people and 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 part of it was because i was i had a as a freshman i had auditioned for um a musical i was intimidated by all the very good singers around me i didn't get cast and i i sort of was like well i guess theater is not for me even though i loved theater and And, no no i was just gonna say like and trying to find my voice i like would be home and like literally just like listening to my like walkman's and whatnot and and just belting in my room and by my junior year there was a student-run production and i really wanted to be in it but i missed the auditions i forget why i missed the auditions but i happened to be in the um the open house uh no i happened to be at the yeah the open house the teacher parent conference Mm -hmm. thing so they, they had like an event and I was manning a table for one of the clubs, I guess. And I noticed and it was right in front of the auditorium. And I noticed that the, the those my colleagues, my peers, who were the directors, were still in the in the auditorium. And I thought. I, I talked myself into it. Cause I was like, don't like that. What like you just, you completely blew off the audition. Why would they anyway? So I walked in <laughs> and I said, I just asked like, is it possible to still audition? I missed it because of whatever the reason I gave and they were like, well, sh- sure. And I, I just thought in my head, like sing like you're in your bedroom. And so it's an empty auditorium. There's three people who are standing there, you know, people that I'm associated with, but not friends with necessarily. And I just decided, I was like, this is the one song I know. And I sang some song. And I literally belted it out. And then I was, and like, I closed my eyes. I belted out the song. And then I opened my eyes and they were all just sort of staring at me with like no facial expression. And I just thought, Oh my God, what, what the hell did you just do? And I was like, well, Thanks for letting me sing for you. Oh, I'm gonna go now. <laughs> and they were like, "Okay, well, you know, we're gonna post up the um the cast list tomorrow." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> and lo and behold, I they cast they cast me. So that felt great. That felt, and I, I was like just happy to be in the room. <laughs> but that was a catapult because, like you. You went into filmmaking in college. I I was a communications major because I also in co- in high school uh, took a film and television class and thought, oh, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be a journalist or I'm gonna do something in production, something. And then I got to to college, and the first thing I did was audition for a show, and that was it.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I appreciate that journey, especially the. Uh you know the 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 similarities I will give a shout out to Miss Harris as well who was our drama teacher like she definitely encouraged me to to be more uh to be more theatrical and I think that so a couple of things I think to point out is like the you know we're going to deal with the rejection and a lot of us don't have a support system you know so we talk about for example the R uh, and fears of yeah. is like the relationships we have, and my friends were like super supportive. So that you know, I was a more of a chameleon. I would be. I was in sports too. I was at one point taking like a computer class. Like I was doing these things and just kind of figuring out where where I would fit. And you know, it was the kind of thing where I had a group of friends who wouldn't judge me for any of those things. It was like, oh, that's cool, man. And like it just really supported me in doing that. And and to me, and then the 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 assets for systems. What's interesting for me is when i was doing the drum thing like you said i imagine like 10 minutes i'm going to be awesome but there wasn't really a a road map for when would i get there or hey like let's do this many sessions and you know you get to play your first song at this point or um what does it look like to actually prepare yourself for auditions and or prepare yourself to to actually share a message i mean i can remember so many performances going poorly, or even as a like as someone in my family checking in with me about what is my art? And what do what am I excited about? Those things were not there. And I know there's families where those things were existed. And I think there's a, a, a layer of saying like, this is what we're talking about with ac- finding your passion and purpose is one of the most equitable things we can help a human being do because it's like, this is yours, like no one else will ever express it the same way that you do, whether we're all theater majors, we will all do it differently and it's just that's so like exciting for me and this is to me a sad thing about the kids who have had those rejection moments but didn't have the the support or the extra opportunities to to try again or to door and you know on the flip side having people who antagonize them or told them that they would never be good at those things or, or at the thing that they felt like wasn't passionate so it is a, a very real thing for me as as we go about doing this work that especially as an artist I do my best to structure things for people to kind of a clear direction of how to participate how to grow it's it's uh, I think about it like because especially now I'm a freestyle artist which is a whole other layer where it's like yeah I walk into a space feel the energy and then create something with people who are there and I tell people all the time especially the kids who are trying to be freestyle rappers I'm like you know how much structure is involved yeah To freestyle, like it's like improv for theater. You have to actually yeah. have structure.
2: There's a lot of structure. If you, it's, it's
3: great because you don't see it. Like if you don't, mm-hmm. if you do it well, people don't even realize it's there. But it's like no, like there are certain beats that I cannot like <laughs> exactly. rhyme on. People, some people I can't improv with because we're like we're not in sync. But it's like, if if we give people an, uh, the the proper structure for them, then they literally can improv and thrive and just and create things that they would have never been able to do. Uh, just being told what to do, right? And it's like that's where I think that that's the kind of philosophy in bringing into this uh, into the current work that I'm doing,
2: wow. you just you just gave me like a a, a click <laughs> that's not yeah. the right. but uh, something like just click like I, I I told you I had a long day today, and we're um we've been in this process of of developing content around uh, for Juneteenth and really thinking about how do we build that that uh, like what are the tenants um and then today we had a training with the the rest of the teaching artists to to learn the the lesson plan and what what we discovered in trying to be really clear that you know Junete- like there's a lot around that but how do we offer an, enough um historical context and enough structure that there's a there's a lot of Um, the theme for us was self-emancipation. So like there's enough room in there for the kids or the, the, in this case it was the teaching artists, but for the group or the participants to really fill in the well, fill in um, with their own, their own libraries, their own words, their own expressions. And it was, it was beautiful to see, like we couldn't quite, but it was because of the structure. We created the frame and then inside of that, the world was like everything was possible so it's it's really interesting that you're applying that same um educational uh pedagogical approach to working in trainings uh around dei work
3: i would say to any you know we're talking about this 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 podcast of teaching artists and to those who are teachers i mean for me i will say one thanks to anyone who wants to step up as an educator in whatever fashion, right? Like, it, holy moly, this world has become even harder to educate folks, so thank you for stepping up in that way. And and the other piece is, is it is about figuring out the structure and where people learn the best. And I think we, you know, you and I were talking about some of the other pieces of what we do, and it's, it's very interesting for me of, uh, when we, especially doing this work and trying to be trauma sensitive and being aware that everybody's bringing different issues and that there's no, there's no rubric to to personal development, there's no rubric to DEI. Like you, we all are all showing up at a different pace, and to to think that we're all on the same page like is nuts to me. It's like no way, like that 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 is not differentiated education. Like for me, it's like I would imagine, I would rather assume that we all. Have a different perspective on that, and then figure out how do we have common and shared language for that for that time moment in time, and then you know create a container where people can participate as safely as they can, and then kind of challenged by choices and and giving people many opportunities to opt in and be a part of the conversation because they because everything we just said like if a, if a, even an adult right now if we get rejected in this conversation if we feel more traumatized in the conversation there's very few structures to actually get ourselves back and going and get into the conversation in a way that feels restorative or, or feels, um, that we can contribute our, our art, like we can contribute our perspective and really contribute our solutions. And so I would say to anybody listening, like really take heed to those things and think about what is it, what is my role in creating, uh, an actual structure or framework that allows people to To show up and, and actually participate and, and create something together versus what's happening now
2: yeah, I mean you're reminding me of a uh, somebody I follow on Instagram uh, she's an author, an activist writer, Sonia Renee Taylor um, she did a an Instagram live sometime last week um, while she's in she moved to New Zealand. Uh, lucky her and um, she was in quarantine. (laughs) I'm sure they do, but um, she, she was in quarantine. So she just, she's had a lot more time to be more, a a little bit more present on, on her feed. And she, she had talked a lot about different, different things. But one of the things that really stuck out to me was talking about this EDI or anti-racism or abolition work as work. She's like, I want to try and change that word or that notion because this isn't work to me this is my life this is life right it's and that yeah. Yeah, yeah there's yeah, in the idea of like the personal journey and that there's no way that we can all be on the same page because our it is personal and but the personal can especially in in a in a if you're in a work situation or working for an institution like the personal obviously feeds into the professional right
3: it gets back to how we structure it, right? I yeah. think there's just a layer where we are not separate, where we because we don't separate them out, they get so intertwined. Mm-hmm. I mean, even when we're working with our clients, it's like, what is your actual responsibility as an employer? And then and, and how do you communicate that? What is your responsibility like as an employee? And like how do how are we even clear on that? You know, because it, it is it is I love that there's a reframe of of the work as essentially as a lifestyle and we also wanna push that a little further and say, you know, we DEI is the only thing that we, we sell as the work. You know, DEI, EDI, people keep rearranging the letters and adding more like this, this journey towards equity is the only thing we sell as the work. We barely talk about what's on the other side. And for example, we look at the gym. In the gym, you don't sell people doing all the crunches. You sell the abs, you sell the sexiness, you sell the after result. As a, as a, for me, for music, you know, being a music, you don't sell that all the grinding of the, playing the guitar and the sore fingers and all that. It's like you sell rocking out on stage and doing a solo. You sell the epic songs. Like we, DEI is the only thing that we're selling it as just a freaking work, and right? it's just that sucks, because yes, it's a lifestyle, and it can actually bring us more um, prosperity, more, more possibilities if we actually start to think about what do we want on the other side of this. Yeah. And let's make that be an anchor for us to to say let's go towards this versus just doing the work. I mean, I'm I'm kind of tired of doing the work, but I'm I'm fired well, up to create a, a world where we can thrive.
2: I think the reason why it, it it was sort of coined the work is to know that you can't it's not you can't skip it. you know know, i or skim it i think that's where it it came no totally and actually that so that's making me or the reminding me of of your framework around like
3: to assess to assess (laughs) strategize train and celebrate yes yeah yeah and this is and it's very much that we uh you know you're, you're talking about our cultural equity accelerator framework and so you know one for those who are who are tracking along when we when we're talking about doing this work we um we are very much aware that, especially in organizations, because that's main our main focus, is we have to create a company culture that fosters equity and you know, fosters equity and honor of everybody who's there, um, as opposed to just working on one group or one issue at a time. It's like, how do we build a culture where, even if new issues arise, we have the trust and we have the the ability to navigate that we have tools and frameworks. So I very much, again, I, I agree with the, that it is work. And I think it's, it's like, we not, we don't really recognize the payoffs. And I think that's the part where we, so in our framework, we call it, uh, we have assess, strategize, train and celebrate. And so we say assess before you make a mess, let me go in and check what's going on before I ever start training people. Cause I, I just, it blows my mind that people say, this is a safe space and like who decide that? who like who like You didn't. I don't know y'all like that. Like, we all have to create this and let's tr- let's measure the trust and safety in this organization let's see what's actually going on before we do any types of trainings because oftentimes which is what we're seeing now it can make things worse and so assess before you make a mess and we talk about strategize going back to this idea of getting people on the same page we're not concerned about getting people on the same page anymore we're focused on getting people in the same direction though Right. I just, I love the, the image of like thinking about Martin Luther King walking with so many people. It's like, there's no way they all understood the same message, but they were going in the same direction. Hey, at least we're going this way. And it's like way easier to know, Hey, if we have a vision of what we're going to. We might literally be speaking a different language, but we're going in the same direction. So how do we strategize those goals and make sure that those goals are uh, aligned with the company's goals? So it, also, it doesn't feel like DEI is an additional thing. We actually are weaving DEI into everything else the business is doing to succeed. Um, the train portion, and this is, you know, I imagine you can appreciate this as an educator, that we are oftentimes asking people to do things they don't have competencies for. Or the skills for, and it's like crazy. Like, are we actually like measuring that our team knows how to do what we're asking them to do before we assume? Because assuming is not equitable. I'll tell you that. Right? It's just like assuming somebody is ready to do the thing you're asking them to do. I'd rather make sure that we're on the same page, and then if they don't, we can close any skill gaps. So if we're like again thinking about Martin Luther King, he had to train people to be nonviolent, right? Like we actually actually had like this thing that that was his whole philosophy. He had to train people to do that because we weren't prepared for that kind of approach to a very violent situation. So are we are we training people to to de-escalate situations? Are we training people to be less traumatic in the way they communicate or less traumatizing in the way they communicate right so just things of that nature and then to the celebrate once we've done figured out where we're going and what's wrong, what's wrong, how do we improve it let's celebrate those milestones I mean, I, I I'm just keep talking about Martin Luther King, just a huge mentor. But the idea of of the uh, when they did the Montgomery boycott, they only um, said they were gonna do one day. They're like, let's try this out, let's see if it works, right? Let's like let's start this out for one day, and then they actually came to because the, the congregation celebrated. They're like, yo, it worked, or at least one version of it worked. Then they committed for the rest, of the, whatever, however long it's gonna take. I don't know how many people know that because like that blew my mind. Like, hey, even they just said, let's just start with one day real quick. Right. <laughs> let's see how let's see how this goes. And let's celebrate the journey along the way. Because to have somebody people walking, like pro like like sacrificing people will sacrifice for good causes. I think people will sacrifice more for the vision of what else is possible. And as we get closer to that, let's celebrate to keep the momentum going. It's not just a kumbaya we did it. it's like, no, this is this is real. Let's motivate people to continue going. So again, assess, strategize, train, and celebrate.
2: Do you ever get pushback on the celebrate?
3: That's why we break it down like that. Yeah, we totally get pushback back on the celebrate. And it's like, okay, great. So tell me how you recognize, like one of my favorite interview questions is how do you wanna be appreciated for a job well done? Yeah. People literally look at me like, what do you mean it's like well if you do the job well like how do you want me to you know appreciate you and it's interesting that like first people don't necessarily know how a lot of people don't know how they want to personally be appreciated so i'm like okay wait a minute if we're doing this really hard work how do you know that it's been successful what are you doing that to enjoy this process because it's going to be hard and there's no reward there's no like payoff that feels gratifying that feels like oh man we can really tell our friends and family about this that oh we can really celebrate this as a team what the heck is the point of doing it there it winning any wins are the are the fastest way to build to bring a a team together and the crazy part is while we're like people like oh i'm concerned that you know winning and celebrating this stuff we haven't made enough progress the people who stormed the the capital, like you said earlier, was they felt that that was a form of victory, like they got to something. And we are holding ourselves back from even talking about possibly celebrating, making positive achievements when they're celebrating negative stuff. This is going back to a quote that Martin Luther King says, like evil is way more efficient with their time. And I might be misquoting that, but that that was a phrase that stood out that like, we are here bickering about so many things, like even celebrating that we're doing the work and we're actively like learning and trying like we some people are afraid of doing that but there's a force of evil and destruction that is not even concerned about some of these things and it's so sad to me that we are holding ourselves back from even having joy in this process because we're afraid of offending people when this is the amount of trauma we're taking on warrants a million more celebrations than we're giving ourselves opportunity to experience
2: i think that a lot of people need to hear that honestly i i mean when I reflect on this year, there have been many, I've had some deep lows. You saw me at one of my lowest moments last week, but like nothing, not like nothing that I've experienced in this last year. Personally, I'll just speaking from the eye that I've experienced, including last week or the week before, um, I had already gone through a horrible thing a few months before the pandemic. And that was where I was at my complete lowest. So I, And I have not felt, even when I've been low, that low or that disconnected or untethered. Um, and for me, the idea of celebrating and acknowledging people's hard work especially in this time, but really at any time, because we've always been working (laughs) such a fast pace. There's all, and there's the, you know, the to-do list is never ending. You mark things off and a whole bunch more show up, right? So if you don't mark it, you know, one way that we do at least is we have these little pan flutes when we were in an open office together and something, You know, something would happen like our tickets would go on sale and the first ticket buyer, you know, went through or I don't know, we got a grant or or somebody just got like, you know, a baby, whatever. It didn't matter. It was personal or professional. We would. and like cheer it on and then there was also like a but like one of my colleagues has this great button that's like you know it's (laughs) and so we we celebrate and there's always there was always food now that's all done but like there was oh you know there was but that that i the idea of celebrating along the way like what are, what else are we doing this for you know like why because it's otherwise it's just the grind and the churn and what's the so so we've been having to figure out in this time frame you know and, and working in this platform how do we keep that same concept going and and sometimes we do it really really well and other times we fail miserably but we keep going right um so i i'm really imp- i think it's really important to note that and i like i really like that framework and um it already aligns with how I think about things and, and actually do the work. I just don't know if I've been thinking about it specifically, like you said, in terms of DEI or EDI work.
3: Um, Yeah, if I can share before we move on that too, because I think, uh, so two things you mentioned, I appreciate that you're talking about the different forms of celebration. And I want to be clear that people can celebrate differently. And I think what we, the, the the teams we've worked with, we've asked them, how do you want to celebrate your milestones? Like well, You don't have to do it how we do it. Like maybe it is the pan flutes and the, you know, bah, 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 or maybe they get a, a, you know, some time off at the end of the day, our teams said, hey, Kimmy, we're grinding. Uh, we want to have half days on Friday. Like we're gonna, you know we're gonna do everything. They're working late hours, like great half days on Friday is going to increase our productivity and have people like feeling like they got a reward. Awesome. I'll take that, you know, and then we, it's just interesting to just to talk through what does a celebration look like? And I think the other piece is some people, um, uh, some people feel like the celebration is, um, like saying, oh, we're done i'm like no 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 no. that's not that's not that's not what i said (laughs) somebody else might have told you that if you look at whenever you look at our framework you see it goes in a cycle because when we go back to when we hit the celebrate then we go right back to assess okay like what what is there next like what is the next thing to do i think a lot of people go you know uh assess strategize train back to assess and they don't ever celebrate so people feel like I'm called out for doing the things wrong. I'm not really celebrated for doing the things right. So why why should I even do the things right? I'd rather just hide and stay out of trouble, which is how I was as a kid. So I also know that without that, the positive part, we're just going to create more kids like me who understood how to get how to stay out of how to stop getting caught. And I think back to the um back to this year, the reason it's been so scary for a lot of us is like. Oh, there's been so many people doing that. They didn't change their mind. They didn't stop being racist or whatever. They just stopped getting caught. And then we see an explosion. We're like, oh, those people were still here. Oh crap. We thought we were doing better. It's like, no, no, they were just hiding better because we're not, we have a, a, we, there's many ways that we have not actually been, um, we have not, we have been uh, continuing to subscribe to the divide and like letting ourselves be divided and assuming all things are well. It's like, this is the, the, the work is also, are we willing to be, are we willing to make this whole conversation, this whole process more inclusive of even those people we don't want to be inclusive of that? Like we might even have our own traumas and frustrations and pain. And I know there's some people I'm not the best facilitator for. Like I'm fine to step out to let somebody else come and facilitate conversation with certain people that might still trigger me because I need the work to get done. I don't need to be the one to do it. Like I also I I can recognize that. So all that to me comes from this place of let's acknowledge how hard it is and let's really give ourselves some um, some anchors of things that we would really like to enjoy on the other side as both a motivation and, and, and an acknowledgement that we we we're on this journey and we're continuing to take steps in, in a more, um, a more equitable direction.
2: Yeah. So I, I, I would like to know what, what do you, what do you see today is on the other side? Like, so what is a more equitable, a, a, a liberated racially just world? What does it look like?
3: Yeah, I've been thinking about this for a while. I mean, the uh, uh, originally we were talking about like restorative justice and restorative and I, and, and I read on um, something that said, what are we restoring the world to? Mm-hmm. Like, has there been a time where we've actually had fairness across all groups? Has there been a time where people could thrive without fear of discrimination or pain, regardless of their color, or whatever, you know, like the, the, the same kind of discrimination, all these all these oppressions, they don't have just one skin color, right? Like they've they've evolved over time based on whoever's the dominant group at the time. And what's interesting is I I to me that that vision of the world that people live safely and thrive is the one thing that keeps me going. And it looks different every time I reimagine it, but that those are probably the simplest way I can put it in words is where we where people are not in jeopardy or feel like their lives are in jeopardy of attack or oppression. It's like, they literally can be safe. Like I can be safe as a human being. And then I have the ability, we all have the ability to to thrive in a way that allows more co-creation and collaboration to create more sustainable solutions, right? This, that to me is, and I, it it kind of grows and it shrinks depending on what's happening in the world, but this, this ability that even those who, um, that those who that those who have been wounded can also find a healing that allows them to to contribute to a more um, again positive and productive world. So I think those are those are the best way I can probably define that right now. Um, I just I just can just I would love to see more people having the the smiles that, that says, yeah, I'm 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 grateful to be on this planet and I'm grateful to to be a part of this human race.
2: Let's talk about artists specifically, since you are an artist, but you work cross industries in your in your line of work. Um, what what are some th- like? I'm I'm in I'm in a learning mode for a year with you, and I'm excited. I'm i we've just started that, so I'm excited, I'm excited. I'm excited where we're going. Yeah, and it's happening. So. What uh, I see here, you you have, uh, you know, leadership um, training, but also thinking very specifically about artists who are the main audience for this particular podcast. Like how can artists feel or be empowered to activate, to be activated, to activate themselves, um, to reimagine, rebuild thinking maybe about your model, or if you have other models to think about how to, to, um, create equity within the work that they're doing.
3: Yeah, beautiful. Um, so I think the reason I love the fears, the, the, again, the fuel extraordinary actions, relationships and systems is to me, it can be applied in every industry. Um, you know, to be an artist, you really have to overcome your fears. Right? I mean, that's like literally, it's and that's certain, not even overcome. I think we wanted to reframe that because I think there's a journey that says you have to overcome It's Like, no, embrace it and use it. To your advantage i still get nervous when i go and perform but it's 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 like that nervousness is like yeah this is important let me do it right so it's it's interesting as as an artist i'll say a couple of things one is is as we are challenging our pain and our frustration please use that to fuel more positive and and, and constructive means of dialogue and and a more constructive means of, of change right because i I definitely have made my songs that are like in in terrible, terrible states of mind. I've also listened to artists who've been through terrible things, and and they're still sharing a message of hope. I think there's a there's that fine line, like, you know, speak what's authentic to you, and, and ensure that you're inciting more of something better, right? Not more of something worse, or something that's going to cause more pain, like, what is it that you can do with your art that allows people to see that there's something better that we can be creating together? Uh, to whatever your art form is. And I would also you know we're talking to teaching artists is every time we are sharing our art, we're communicating something. Mm-hmm. So what are you truly trying to communicate? We can't we can't um control the interpretation, right? there's a there's a layer of that which is like out of our control. Someone's like, how do I get super duper clear on what I'm seeking to communicate? I mean, we can talk about that for many reasons. I think for me, know i call it motivational hip-hop and as part of it has been like really trying to like when i tell people i'm a hip-hop artist sometimes they're like oh i'm going to do talk about the classic hip-hop things and and i always make like parody songs about those things that's not my lifestyle it's like i I don't live that so i want to speak what's true to me what's true to me is is seeking to make sure that every single time i get on the microphone anytime i get a chance to talk i'm sharing a message of of hope a, a message of power and possibility and I would love for artists to find their version of that for teachers to find their version of that because if we keep speaking into a chaotic world where um we're all at a disadvantage we're just going to continue to let that world exist and i'm like i'm done with that i'd rather speak of something that i really want which is the the world of change and that i can be a part of it
2: is there anything that you want to either tell me or ask me
3: (laughs) i want to know for you, how does all this resonate, right? Like you, you're hearing all this for the first time as we're talking. And I mean, I know there's, you shared a couple of tidbits, but what is it, what is resonating for you?
2: Well, I think, you know, I, I, I've been doing a a ton of reflecting, um, and I'm also in this new position, right? at, At my, at my job. And and there's just a lot of um fibers <laughs> and i'm trying to take the fibers that make sense and weave them into different aspects of the work that i'm doing what i like about what i'm learning from you um and 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 very much in this conversation is how how there's still uh, i can connect to it with many uh aspects of what you shared in terms of your memories and stories But also that your approach to this work is from this hopeful asset bearing space, which is definitely the way I uh, want to be looking at this work and and enjoy looking at all the work that I do from that, that hopeful space. Um, the, The four years from, I launched this podcast in 2017, but imagined it in 2016. So <laughs> so it launched shortly after the inauguration of the last uh, uh administrator, the last president and I spent most of twenty eighteen very angry. So if you if you ever look back and listen to those host <laughs> intros, wow, I am so, so angry. And then I um I I decided that like that while yes, I was angry, that's like that was taking up too much of my energy and space and it wasn't, it wasn't really helping me do the work, the kind of work that I wanted to do. So I tried to t- shift that and really go for hope and look for the, uh, what was I calling? Well, I was calling them something that, that those years, uh, like the beacons of light, uh, yeah. you know, the, 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 ripples of hope. That's why I, I was very inspired by um, Bobby Kennedy's speech in, in South Africa. So like I was really, and, and that, what the way you talk about this work reminds me of that person that I was then, and who I am now, plus that I think is a is a powerful thing,
3: yeah, I appreciate that I mean the and and the, it please if people are angry that that don't again even sometimes using the word positive is sometimes like it makes people mad like i you know I've been through uh whenever you do hear about my childhood of like also being you know, arrested for fights and and things of that nature. And, um, you know, at gunpoint, things that are like, yeah, I'm super grateful I did not let the anger destroy me. And it was because people let me see that there could be a different route. And then it's just kind of offering that to folks when you're ready, there's a different route. Uh, If you're angry now, that's fine. Be angry and make, like, look at how, again, I think this is something important to mention to folks, um, just because you have been wronged doesn't mean you have the right to wrong other people, and I would want to be like super clear about that because it's like I, I the committed to this a long time ago. I'm gonna stop the, I'm gonna break any cycle of violence that I'm a part of, mm. and I've been enough of trauma and violence against me personally to be like, yeah, I don't want to do that to other people. And so this this uh and it still happens to me, like you know, living the life today. It's just like, yeah, you know what I. I'm gonna transmute that energy. I wanna do something different. That's what my art is for. Like you'll hear some songs that are like, the energy is like kind of battle rap, but the message is like positive in people's minds. like, what is, it, what's going on? I'm like, yeah, like I'm literally converting it in front of your eyes. Like I'm so mad, but like, I refuse to let that be the message that I leave you with. But you can feel my passion. That just, that was fuel to the fire boy for sure. It's like, that was fuel to the fire. And then I, I I've learned I'm no longer here to suppress uh, the negativity I'm just gonna use it to my advantage which is why again the fears advantage even exist like I, I want to use it literally it to our advantage yeah yeah
2: that's great kemi um do you want to talk about this uh, assessment tool yes
3: and so if people have been listening to this <laughs> it's uh again assess before you make a mess I, I think about my, how my leadership style has grown over the years it sounds like yours has grown as well so we're basically offering folks a free a DEI leadership assessment. Just get a sense for where you are in your own process. Um, a lot of leaders are trying to avoid this space and I've never solved a problem by avoiding it. So it's like, let's look at where uh, you may be strong so you can continue to use that. And then places where you have growth opportunities, especially in this space, um, whether you're a teaching artist, uh, an educator, any kind of organizational leader, look at where you, how your leadership style is contributing to DEI in your organization and moving forward. Because if you're not looking at that, you might have more blind spots than you imagine. and might be doing more harm than good. So we want to help you identify and amplify the good that you can do.
2: And where can you find that?
3: Uh, you can find it at fearsadvantage.com slash lead. fearsadvantage.com slash lead.
2: Kimmy, I'm going to see you tomorrow.
3: Hopefully, we'll see everybody tomorrow, right? Tomorrow is the thing. Tomorrow is a new around. day. <laughs> Today, tomorrow, the, uh, and we've said hope a couple of times. My favorite version of hope that we've created is that humans overcome problems every day. Every day. Every day. So it's like, hey, as long as I see you tomorrow, that means we had a good one, right? So even if it was a hard one and a painful one, I'm seeing the tomorrow, I will take it. So uh, thank you for inspiring hope. Uh, and thank you for giving me a chance to share with all your listeners and for everybody who listened to the end. Thank you for for rocking with us and just, and celebrate. I celebrate that for sure.
2: Yeah, definitely. Well, I celebrate you. This has been really wonderful to get to know you better. And um, I, I really am going to see you tomorrow. So
3: <laughs> It's real. Right? Yeah, it's it's real, party. real. Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: but thank you so much for sharing your, your, your stories, your work. Um, your outlook, you know, the, 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 your philosophies, it's really been great to hear. Um, yeah, that's it. Thank you.
3: Yeah. Thank you. Yes. I'll see you soon.
0: (laughs) Thank you for listening to episode 45 of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Kemi Joseph, Pursuing Authentic Action. Join us next time for a conversation with Tina LaPadula. This podcast is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the director of creative content. Jana Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org and head to the pod shop at the top of the page for merch. Twitter us at TA underscore artistry. The gram at artistry with CJB. And now on YouTube, check out the Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body channel and watch We Can't Go Back. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud and Spotify, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life.
1: Let's start it